this is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. My name is Christine Colson, and my book is One Woman Show. Christine Colson has worked as a writer for the Metropolitan Museum of Art for 25 years. She took her years of experience and turned them into a different form of art, the novel. Her latest, titled One Woman Show, follows the almost century-long life of Kitty Whitaker, a well-to-do 20th century woman. What makes this novel singular, though, is its form. We see this life lived through moments in time, captured in 75 words or less, all in the form of art museum wall labels. On today's episode, I speak with Christine Colson about One Woman Show. From KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Marginalia. Can you give our listeners a brief description of One Woman Show and how the project came about? Of course. Um, Well, I've written a novel almost entirely in museum wall labels. You know, those little descriptions that are next to the art um, in a gallery. And I've used that form to create a kind of retrospective exhibition of a life. The subject of the show is a wealthy, sometimes not very likable, uh, distinctly 20th century woman um, called Kitty, who like a work of art, is uh, evaluated, critiqued, prized, and collected from her earliest childhood throughout her life. Um, You know, those little museum labels are notoriously boring, and they tend to have that kind of all-knowing institutional voice, and they have a 75-word limit. So as someone writing a novel, I had to, and and someone who needed all those traditional things like plot and character development, um, I needed to take that form and stretch it to its greatest capacity. I needed emotion and maybe some humor. So that was my challenge. How do you make a museum label um, emotional or funny? Um, Could I write a sexy label? And it turns out that the, the language of art is thrilling to apply to the human experience. And you can actually write a label about anything. There's a label about uh, a sandwich about midway through the book. Um, and a, and this experience with this form comes from uh, my time at the Met. Um, I, re- I was a writer for the Met for 25 years. And my last project there was to write the uh, wall labels for the new British galleries that opened in 2020. Um, And it was during that time that I had the idea for this book, the idea of writing labels and applying this rigorous form to people. So no more than 75 words. It's a very rigid writing structure. Did you find a sense of freedom within the structure? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love constraint. I love rules and parameters. And I just think it's so much more interesting than just the blank page to set up limitations. Um, I think it's what really, for for me personally as a writer, it's what gets my imagination to really take flight. And I think the form really reflects the constraint of 
Kitty's life. Um, her life, and I, I refer to her vitrine all the time, and and that that um, space that she is allowed to occupy. Um, and I think that the form has that same feeling about it. Um, I'm allowed to occupy those seventy five words, but um, can't trespass against that. Yeah. So we have the form, and I want to talk about the subject, Kitty, for a while. Who you know, her name is Kitty Whitaker. The book opens with Kitty as a five-year-old. Her first portrait is titled Masterpiece, and throughout the text, she's also titled or labeled Fiancé, Portrait Subject, Petty Thief, Broken, and so many others. These titles reduce Kitty to a static moment in time, but, you know, the art descriptions, these wall labels, inject more life into her, making her a three-dimensional character. So talk to us about Kitty. Who is Kitty Whitaker? Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting that you've picked up on that um, that structure too. Yet another uh, limitation and constraint. I, I probably limitation is the wrong word, but that idea that in every label um, you have what uh, in in museums is called the tombstone information. So that's the artist, the title, the date, the medium. And so I got three lines before the seventy five words to kind of establish where we are with Kitty where she is in her life, what the moment is that we're about to capture and explore, what Kitty's name is. So as Kitty is moved from collection to collection, as a 20th century woman who uh, moves from marriage to marriage, so is kind of prized and and deaccessioned in some ways, and then how that transfers from her name. I'm so very struck by how from one label to the next, she may completely change her name because she's married someone and she's gone from being, you know, uh, someone who's a divorcee who has one name and then she has a completely different identity. Um, and that, that that idea that you are so defined by who possesses you in a way was really striking to me and I thought came across in that tombstone information very poignantly. So that tool of establishing right out of the gate where we are in time, where she is in age, and and what what we're grappling with, um, whether it's fiance, where she is at the peak of of what what is considered the achievement of a lifetime, to much more evocative um, labels like petty thief, and so I loved that idea of kind of immediately setting up the reader to start thinking about that, and then here comes the seventy five words to tell you where we are in that. Um, one of the things I love about the structure of the book is the kind of complicity the reader has in as they read on the right hand side of the page is the label itself, the way it would be in a gallery. Um, but the left hand side of the page is left blank. And I feel like that's where you're projecting the work of art that I'm describing. And that relationship between the writing and me and the reader as we all use our imagination to conjure Kitty and follow her story um, is really important to me, both as a visual exercise on the page, but also as a kind of narrative that that draws you into Kitty as a as a character. So most of the wall labels, they follow specifically, they follow Kitty through her nearly century long life. Talk to me about the balance she had to maintain between being labeled or identified by a particular role by society and the internal life that pushes back against those labels. Mm, yeah, she likes to um, 
she has some minor transgressions that I think are very telling. Um, and again, I don't want to give away too much plot, but I do like that there's always a little resistance from Kitty. Um, and from that first opening label um, where her parents are looking at her and she knows she's being watched, there's a, immediately a, a sense of the gaze um, the gaze upon her, her awareness of that, her awareness of how she is being looked at, but also how she's presenting herself. And I think that um, quickly gets established as not only something she has, but something that her um, her garniture, uh, that, that group of women around her um, also experience as a kind of mildly competitive um sensibility that the, that someone will be the ultimate prized possession um and so she exists within that understands that um dynamic going on uh, sometimes harnesses it for her own um advancement uh i think particularly when she kind of reaches her maximum power in the 1950s um and she's kind of in full throttle you really watch that and then i think she's aware of that gaze kind of dissipating as she gets older. Um, and there's that very telling moment when she's talking to someone um, who explains to her um, what it's like to be really beautiful and what advantages there are to being um, incredibly attractive. And and Kitty's kind of confused and taken aback by that because it's he says it as if she's never experienced that kind of adoration. And I think for her, that's a kind of very fundamental moment. Um, and I was very conscious in the book of uh, almost funneling the amount of attention she gets. So when she is young and full of potential, um, there are a lot of labels about Kitty in her youth um, and kind of chronicling this beautiful child and and all that she has to offer the world and then as she gets older um we skip sometimes we'll skip a decade um because there's it's a reflection of the the lack of interest in her at that stage and it was important for me to kind of use that structure again as a kind of storytelling and to use the language of art. I mean, I love the idea of, um, you know, one of the things we say in museums when something is flawed, we say it has um, condition issues. And I love the idea. I mean, what a perfect metaphor for like human beings and their own flaws. We all have condition issues. And so I love to take that that language of um, provenance and reattribution and the idea of taste and apply it to that human experience. So talk to me about writing the other wall labels, the, you know, of her garniture. In addition mm. to the actual label, we knew that we were identifying others beyond Kitty because the pages had a, a grayscale background to them. So yep. talk to me about that decision and, and what we learned about Kitty through her garniture. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, the rhythm of the book is established by the the visual patterns that get that get developed in the the structure of the book. So you you're reading about Kitty and it's um, and it keeps repeating Kitty. Um, but I wanted this kind of visual signal that um, this is something else. This is something outside of Kitty, and that that gray scale um, is something that. I had done while I was writing. Um, I write when I write. I uh, put all the pages up on a wall. 
I taped them up on the wall. And so I could see how that rhythm worked um, when outside people entered into the narrative and, and how long that would last and when that rhythm seemed like um, it was going on too long or needed to be extended. So I had that visual trope um, in my studio when I was writing and we kept it because we really felt like we were concerned that people would get complacent about the labels and the form and that it would grow a little static. And so just giving people that cue that something else was going on now. And and what happens too is in all the kitty labels, you get her kind of designation first and then you get her name, her current name, and then you get everything else. In the labels that are non-kitty labels, we start with the name. So that sort of sets the pace. We've got a new person entering. Um, and in that way, it's almost like a stage script. It's like, you know, enter Whippy and here comes. And now who is she? And then what's her provenance? Um, so it was just a way to kind of make the, the visual aspect of the book um, keep pace with the narrative. You know, I had a geeky technology of the book moment when I was reading those gray pages. At first, I thought about the engineering of the printing process to ensure all of those labels fell, all fell within like the gray paper signature. But then I realized that it was just a full bleed because the backs of those pages were white. Yeah. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about structure because there there were no page numbers. And we didn't just see museum labels. We also saw, you know, some overheard conversations. What did those yeah. bring to the book? Well, you know, I got to the point when I was writing, I, I probably had written 40 or 50 labels um, and that architecture was very much in place and I, and I loved the kind of infrastructure of it. Um, but, you know, you get to a certain point with constraint and rigor and form where you feel like it needs to be disrupted to bring it some energy. Um, and so I came up with this idea of imagining standing in a gallery and you're reading a wall label, but there are other people in the gallery with you. And so there's this kind of chatter behind you. Um, and I feel like that's a very common experience in museums where you're engaging with a label or a work of art, and then other people are behind you saying things that sometimes contradict what you're reading in the label and kind of undermining that. And so I liked the idea of bringing in voices that would be contemporaneous with whatever's, whatever action is happening in the label. So we're reading a retrospective exhibition, a, a kind of curator's version of, of Kitty's life. And then these other voices are coming in and giving you a sense of what was actually going on. And sometimes it's supportive of what you're reading and other times it just seems like, oh, well, maybe this is a little more complicated than we think. Um, and I liked that idea of creating a little bit of a shaky foundation um, at some point and, and having the reader begin to acknowledge that inevitably, and this is certainly true in museums, there's so much that a label has to leave out. You only get 75 words and what you choose to tell can be very accurate, but what's left out is sometimes maybe more critical. And so that slippery part of the narrative, I want again, I wanted the reader to engage with that and start to wonder a bit about what this voice is and 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 
how we can link these things up without consider, you know, and consider um, what's missing. And there was a kind of um, way in which I was thinking about that in a, as like a form of like cubist storytelling. If you think about um, the sort of hints you have in a cubist painting about certain things that exist, but you never see the whole and you see something from a very flattened perspective, but from multiple points of view. And I thought there's something happening here in the text that's very similar to that. Talk to me about the names, because very few people in the book go by their given names. Is it, <sighs> you know, is a nickname a different form of label or, or talk to me about all of these different identifiers? I think a, a nickname in this case um, and in among this particular class of people is a way is a kind of code. Um, you know, you have these people with these incredibly formal names, but they go by these childhood nicknames like Ham or you know, and Whippy is the the famous one in the book. Um, and there are these kind of silly names that are established in childhood. Um, and I think when these same characters become adults and they still use those names, it's a way of distinguishing um, who is part of their tribe. If you know that person's name, whose real name might be Winthrop, but he goes by Ham. If you know his name is Ham, it's like, well, then you're one of us. Um, it's I think it's ex- exclusionary. Um, it's a way of sussing people out. Since you are so well-versed in the art world, do you have some favorite pieces that might have inspired how you visualize the pieces in One Woman Show? Well, I knew from the beginning I wanted to use the language of porcelain. Um, I should say, first of all, that um, the idea for this book came to me, you know, that I wanted to write these labels about people and treat people like works of art. But where Kitty comes from really is my first experiment with that idea. I just randomly wrote about a patrician woman standing in the Mets galleries, um, kind of a Park Avenue type. I had no real investment in her as a character. I just wanted to see if I could do it. Um, And it was Kitty. And she kind of eventually just took over the book. I did not sit down to write um, the kind of biography of a 20th century woman. I mean, in fact, I haven't done that, but it is, it is the story of a life, but it's hardly a full-on biography. But um, so I, I'm really curious about her as a character and how she revealed herself to me. Um, I then challenged myself, well, maybe I should just write 20 labels about this woman and see what happens. And that process really surprised me. Um, What was possible with her, what she wanted to say. I mean, I I think it sounds very cliche, but um, she had a story to tell. And part of the language I wanted to use was um, about porcelain. Um, I did, I I do love porcelain. I really wanted to um, talk about that. And it suited a character like this so well in the end. Um, You know, porcelain is hard but fragile it's um, of limited utility it's made of fire um it's easily moved in group with other collectible objects um and it's very hard to hide its damage and so as a medium for a character um it had a lot of rich possibilities and the language just came so easily i want to talk about the precision of the timing of the book's release. 
you know, especially given the the dates included in the book. I mean, the date of the opening show at the very beginning of the book and, and even the year of the ghost wall label at the end of the book, they all had to do with this one release date. And so there could be no no delays, could there? Well, which came first, the text or the release? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, um, we needed a date for the opening of the show. And so I did, when we had the release date, I, I made it that. Um, I just thought it it felt like, you know, the opening of an exhibition. And I wanted it to feel like that. I wanted, that's why I added at the beginning of the book, I added that credit line um, because I wanted something to signal to the reader that all the tropes of an exhibition that you're used to in a museum are, are going to happen here. We're going to have a title wall and we're going to have an exhibition credit line. And so I, I, I wanted to set the stage for that right away. So many readers, quote unquote, consume books through audio these days. And I see that an audiobook will be available, but I haven't listened to a sample of the audio or anything. But I also see that there are four narrators for the audio, including yourself. How was this book presented in audio with the four different voices? So um, I am the curator. I read all the labels in, in my own steady tone. And then those voices that we talked about that come in, some of those bits of dialogue are Kitty. Um, and then there's a host of other characters. So one of the actors is Kitty. One of the actors is all the other women. And then the other actor is um, all the other men. Um, and they were fantastic, really tremendous to work with um, and to understand the nimbleness of a talented actor is, you know, when you can say to someone, um, that was great, but let's make him just 15 years older. <laughs> and then they do it again. And it feels like they're exactly 15 years older. So it was interesting because you, you're often participating in uh, the kind of aging of these characters as they move along. And so to make that distinction um, feel palpable on the audio was important. Um, and they were great fun. Do you have a hope for what readers will take away from this book? You know, I kind of want it to feel like it does when you go to an exhibition. You know, you kind of come out and you're sort of amused and satisfied and you feel like you've had an experience that makes you different than when you entered. You know, that that sense of when you leave an exhibition, or I often feel this way, when I leave an exhibition in a museum and it was really satisfying for all kinds of different reasons, both like the visual delight and, and what you learned and how it kind of connected with you as a human being. And that sense of satisfaction, I mean, that's a heavy lift for a book, but that's really what I want them to feel like, have that same almost um, visual experience despite the lack of illustrations. We have talked about a lot. Is there anything that you would like to talk about that I didn't ask? Oh, I mean, we've covered a lot. Um, I think what we might think about is that sense of um, how this book relates to the world we live in now and the stories we tell about ourselves. I mean, if we think of the parallel between this kind of storytelling and Instagram, 
highly curated versions of our lives um, in which clearly a fair amount is being left out and how this kind of easily digestible story feels not quite right sometimes. Um, I think there are real parallels between um, this form and, and that social phenomenon. And I think people will, will sense that um, in the book. Well, the book is One Woman Show. Christine Coulson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Christine Coulson, author of the book, One Woman Show, which was published by Avid Reader Press. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producers are Haley Krausen and Katie Lanning, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Goulet.